You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. In my lifetime, I expect to see three, four, perhaps even more women on the high court bench. Women not shaped from the same mold, but of different complexions. All right, welcome back to United States of Women. This is season two, episode three. So we are in Pennsylvania. Don't worry, we're still kind of sort of back in Philadelphia. Not quite. Not quite. It's it's a it's a fifty fifty. We're actually going to go all over the U.S. Um, okay. So this episode is called Molly Pitcher. So Jessica. What do you know mm-hmm. about the general concept of female icons, mostly in the concept of popularized compilations of a type of woman? So, like Rosie the Riveter? Yep, like Would Rosie the Riveter. Icon, not necessarily a single woman, but she represented a movement of women that you know, worked the factories yep. during World War Two when men couldn't, and it was like, Rosie the Riveter. Yeah. And, I don't know, I, I figured you can also go with, like, feminist pop icons and, like, real people that turn feminism into, like, a cultural movement as well. And So pretty solid. So, yeah. yeah. So, Rosie the Riveter's probably the most commonly well-known. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... It is not a concept new to the 20th century, okay? So this is something that we've been doing to women for eons. Okay. Okay, so in the American Revolution, mm-hmm. Rosie the Riveter was Molly Pitcher. Molly Pi- okay. Molly Pitcher, okay? So Molly Pitcher was most likely a compilation of multiple women, although the woman we are going to talk about today has been argued to be the true Molly Pitcher. Okay. okay. It is it is hotly debated. Um, some of the other common names are ones that's often considered the potential Molly Pitcher is Mary Ludwig, uh, then becoming Mary Hayes out of New Jersey. But most likely it is Margaret Corbin. Margaret Corbin. Mm-hmm. I feel was... like I know the name Mary Hayes over Margaret Corbin. Probably. I will. I will say that though. Probably. But I'm. Well, I'm not for so, sure why. There's. There's. <laughs> there's a good chance that both of these women did these types of things in different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Both have connections to Pennsylvania. But Margaret Corbin, born, raised, lived in Pennsylvania for most of her adult life. She was born Margaret Cochran okay. in Western Pennsylvania on November twelfth, seventeen fifty-one, in what is now Franklin County. So she was born in what was then the Western Frontier, <laughs> if you will. Uh, yeah, hard to imagine. Pennsylvania being Western Frontier, but But that's what it was. Yeah. So, when she was five, her parents were 
quote unquote, attacked by Native Americans. Mm. Her dad was killed and her mom was kidnapped, never to be seen again. No idea the circumstances surrounding this. No idea what may have come along to cause mm-hmm. this potential. You know, because there's always a good chance that this was retaliation for something else the Cochrans already did. Yeah, it's just, you're just, and we're never gonna know. But with those caveats, her dad was killed. Her mom was kidnapped. She's orphaned at the age of five. She's orphaned at the age of five with just her brother. Younger or older? Younger. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Not a time to be an orphan. Not a time to be an orphan. However, they were raised by their uncle. Oh, okay. Had family to take them in. Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah. In 1972, Margaret became Margaret Corbin when she married John Corbin. Okay. He was a Virginia farmer who had moved to Philadelphia. So she joined him in Philadelphia. Hmm. In, when the American Revolution began, John pretty much kind of jumped at the chance and joined the first company of the Pennsylvania Artillery Ooh. as a matross. That's so, a thing I know what it is. It's a thing you know what it is. So do you want to explain it? <laughs> nope, do not know. <laughs> oh, okay, do not know. It sounds cool, though. It's, I will Google it. <laughs> it. It is a cool thing. No, he's uh, an artilleryman for part of a cannon crew. So he was in charge of stuffing the cannon oh. for it to be fired. Okay, so he made sure everything was packed down so Correct. like it so would fire correctly and not like implode. Exactly. Okay, exactly. important role. Important role. Very important role. Yeah. So, I do like like firing a cannon like always seems so easy, but if you actually like <laughs> like it's like there should be like four men and they each have a set role and if they screw up their role, they could all just die. Like it's just Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. very like niche teamwork like these men really had to work together really had to set their timing because you had to get that cannon ready to fire like quick while you're being fired at and while like I just I've seen I've seen people do the like when we've had here even here we have civil war reenactments yeah and I've seen them do the cannons and like the replica cannons and that was civil war so it was a little bit later on Mm -hmm. so it was even more yeah technically advanced so i can't imagine no if, if you need an explanation as to how complicated it is it took a crew yeah like <laughs> it took a group and, of men anything that takes a crew to operate <laughs> is not an easy piece of machinery yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. and it took a lot of like signals too to ensure that everything was okay like yep. every time that cannon was fired i remember there was always one man too of that crew that had to be like yes it is safe to fire yeah, and they but they had to learn how to do it. Like it's very fascinating. Whereas nowadays it's just so easy. Like one man can, but just it's like I don't know. The technology of war is just fascinating. It's fascinating, I should say. Yeah, no, particularly because like you have to do all of this while being shot at. Yeah, like this is not something you're doing in a classroom. Mm-mm. In any case. Something that was very common, so we talked last week about, you know, you made the mention, like, well, if I had a son in the Revolutionary War, like, yeah, I'd probably be a spy. Yeah. Well, the more common thing for wives, in particular, Mm -hmm. was to follow behind the army and basically serve as all of your support staff. So, like, part of the army, the navy, the air force now, serves the purpose of 
logistics, making sure people are fed, mm-hmm. making sure the wounded are taken care of. Like you have full departments within the army to do that these days. Yes. So during the American Revolution, this was accomplished by wives who were following behind the army. Not enlisted, not officially part of the the battles at all. Mm-hmm. However, they were doing all of the cooking, the cleaning, caring for wounded soldiers. Mm-hmm. So they were called camp followers. Camp the, followers. Is the official title. Which they basically did all the things. Okay. <laughs> so they did all the organizational aspects of, yes, you have the army that is just here, but you can't have a functioning army without something taking care of that army. Like, and it, yeah. so somebody cooking the meals and I actually currently kind of sort of work for an organization that is considered military support so we're a government you know it's called MWR it's morale welfare and I think it's morale oh my gosh (laughs) you should know this welfare and recreation so like basically it's taking care of soldiers and their families so that they don't have to worry about their mission exactly yeah so like or that's all they have to worry about is their mission i should say (laughs) you should only be thinking about war and like doing what you're supposed to do as a soldier like we will support you (laughs) exactly so you can worry about only those things so john got was enlisted and on november 16th 1776 general washington's army got pushed out of New York. Mm-hmm. So they had to cross back over the rivers. They got pushed back. The only... Sorry, I was right. I was like, oh, it is morale. I was like, it is morale. Right? <laughs> Google this real quick. Google acronym. I, like, I do know who I work for. Right. Uh, Sunday, and it's too, not enough coffee yet. Not, not enough coffee. So a small battalion is left at Fort Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, which was sitting on top of a ridge, today known as Fort Tyron Park. Okay, so they're sitting up, up top. Get, and they're the, the only ground. ones left while the rest of the army has retreated back across the rivers into safety. Mm-hmm. But at least they have a high ground, so if, if the British are going to come up on them, at least they hopefully can, can, can see... Oh, no. With any luck. Your luck. <laughs> My luck. So part of the reason... Margaret Corbin and women like her became known as Molly Pitchers mm-hmm. is one of the things that was necessary as support mm-hmm. for cannon crews was to continually cool the cannon by carrying cold water up and dumping it on top of the cannon because okay. it, would, it would overheat. Yeah. Women often who were wives of cannon crews were the ones that would did this. Pitch water, pitch water and onto mm-hmm. the cannons. Okay. So on November 16th, 1776, Hessen forces attacked Fort Washington, okay? Manned by a small crew of cannon crews and riflemen, they began shooting. John's team immediately took to action Mm -hmm. to fire the cannon. And Margaret, who was only 25 at the time, so younger than us, the baby. Yeah, well, I mean... (laughs) Today's standards would be a baby fresh out of college, pretty much. But, like, that standard would be a woman yeah. in her maturity knowing what she's doing. And 
But, so. Like, still, it is interesting to see just how young <laughs> these women are sometimes. And you're like, where's my ambition? <laughs> what am I doing with my life? What am I? In? It's so much easier now. Yeah. So, John was early on struck and killed in the battle. So she lost her husband. So she lost her husband, and immediately she took up his position as part of the cannon crew. (gasps) And she continued to fight throughout the battle. She eventually was hit with shrapnel, uh, where she received numerous injuries. Injuries, including lacerations around her chest and basically destruction of her left arm. So the British eventually won. Yeah. And convinced Mm -hmm. Margaret and her fellow soldiers and the women to surrender. Moved by Margaret's bravery, the British actually released her on parole back to Philadelphia to have her wounds cared for. Okay. She would eventually recover mm-hmm. from this from these wounds, and but she would never regain use of her left arm. I mean that she probably had if it's shrapnel, she probably had nerve damage in her arm, I imagine, and just yeah. Honestly, she's really lucky she didn't get infection and. <laughs> Right. Uh, Back when we didn't know what the crap infection was, we were just like, yeah, that wound looks like it's going to kill you, and we don't know why, because it's yellow. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the reasons that it's believed Margaret Corbin is likely the inspiration for Molly Pitcher is because after the war, Congress acknowledged her wartime service and granted her half pay and allowances of a soldier for services to the Continental Army. So she actually received a pension in her own name as opposed to a widow's pension. Wow, okay. So. How did I not know about her? Well, so as as we talked about, you know, (laughs) there is conflict because Mary Ludwig Hayes McCulley, Mary Hayes, Mm -hmm. has a very similar story uh, for the Battle of Monmouth on June 28, 1787, mm-hmm. so a few years later, where she also took over her husband's position as part of a cannon crew mm-hmm. to help fight that battle yeah. upon his dying. Yeah, because, and that is the one thing about cannon crews was that they were so tight-knit that if one member died, it like, could really throw off their timing. It could. Yeah. It was hard for like somebody to do two jobs at once. Like These jobs seem simple. Like It seems simple to just... Pound something into, but it's it's not. You actually need training. Like these are highly explosives. That's that's why you had to cool them down because you're throwing gunpowder in a sack down a barrel, and if it's a little too hot, that gunpowder is going to go off when you touch it to the hot barrel. So, just it it seems uncomplicated, but it's very complicated and it's very set. And if you throw off the groove, like I'm sure, like those women who were close to the canyons probably were taught their husband's role. Like, so (laughs) most of the historical articles that I've come across discuss the fact that the wives helped their husbands practice so much that they actually learned how to do the Yeah, because, like, it's not like, oh, she's just like, I can do this. No, she probably knew how to do it. There is... She'd been paying enough attention. (laughs) And really working at it. So, yeah, so you could have been a spy. 
as as a wife yeah. or a mother who Could stayed passed behind. pass notes around and fight over flower sacks nope. to get or them out <laughs> you could have been a camp follower and potentially had to ignore your grief for watching your husband die mm-hmm. to keep fighting his good fight uh yeah so yeah no it it was definitely intense uh, did they i don't remember if you mentioned did they have children or it did not state that they had children. Yeah. They were married in 1772, and this took place in 1776. So based off of timing, I'm going to guess not. Yeah, if they did, maybe they had one, and it's a young infant. Well, and and you know. if she had had a child, she probably wouldn't have been a camp been, follower. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, because she, yeah, her parents had died when yeah. she was five. So, so yeah. And there's no... There's no no records of any children. After the war and after her recovery in Philadelphia, Mary Margaret uh, eventually moved back to New York near the mm-hmm. fort because that was where her husband was buried. Mm. And in a really kind of sad twist of fate, um, she died in, in basic obscurity, known by neighbors as Dirty Kate, because she was a drunkard and angry old woman, is how she was described, which is just basically so she how never, every woman was described if she doesn't have children. So I mean, that and she had no use of her left arm. She was already in her mid-20s, which seems like young for us, but back then might have been a slightly hard age to remarry, I imagine. Probably. Especially yeah. when you have a disfigurement. Yeah. And... So, but she's like a hero. I mean, she picked up a thing, and that she had a huge tragedy when she was a kid, which I'm sure exactly affected her. And so, yeah, yeah. and so she died on January 16th, 1800, in Highland Falls, New York. Mm. So, um, however, a memorial was erected for her heroism in 1909. Um, on the CKG Billings Estate in what would later become New York City's Fort Tyron Park, so where mm-hmm. the fort was that she fought at. And it is called Margaret Corbin Circle, mm-hmm. uh, which lays just outside the main entrance. And then there is also Mar- Margaret Corbin Drive, which connects the circle through the park to the Henry Hudson Parkway. So pretty major. She's got a, you know some pretty great memorials um and in 1926 the new york state chapter of the daughters of the american revolution verified margaret's records and recognized her heroism and service to the united states through the papers of general henry knox who had commented on her services and Mm. petitioned for congress to grant her pay all right so yeah she's pretty solid woman Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm And she is likely the inspiration of Molly Pitcher, which is was a term for any woman uh, said to have fought in the American Revolution. So any of the wives, any of the women who stood up and fought in the American Revolution in any capacity mm-hmm. were called Molly Pitchers. Very Molly similar Pitchers. to Rosie, Rosie the, the Riveters. Riveters. Yep. Okay. So the Molly other Molly pretend- Pitchers. That's a 
That's a muscular job, pitching, yeah. like, <laughs> taking water and just, you know how heavy water is right. in those old wooden barrels, like, just pails? Like, it just, it would be so heavy, and you probably get to lug it up, because the cannons were always set up, up high. as high yeah. as it could be, <laughs> so you're just... You're lugging... <sighs> buckets of water probably two at a time yeah Carrying you're getting the- you're getting shot at just yeah. like everybody else it's not because and it's not like the british would intentionally be like oh there's a woman with pails it'd just be like <laughs> like we didn't have very good technology so when you shot a gun the bullet could go like 45 degrees to the left for some right. reason instead of straight like it's just Although I will note, I want to say it was the American Revolutionary War that was the start of being able to make bullets go go straight, and you had like a set of snipers that actually could, could shoot could them. shoot straight, but those were really hard to make and not easy to get your hands on. But like, I was gonna say, well, most yeah. for for the colonists, most of your firearms were just whatever you owned when you left the house. <laughs> yeah, whatever you owned, or also whatever you stole from the British, and that was the other important things about these canyons and why they were so set with crews was because they were hard to attain, and you didn't want to lose them. Like yeah. you can't lose your cannon because we had to steal it from the British, which is why we have our Second Amendment right of the right to bear arms. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But yes. Yeah, so these were every time I think about. Molly pictures. I I do. I picture the Mulan carrying the buckets up. And the new movie that yeah. came out. That's the new instead of the um, instead of the the disc. climbing the the <laughs> climbing to get the arrow. It's now taking these two buckets with your arms parallel out to go to the top of the mountain. And every time I'm like, I would never in my life be able to do that. <laughs> like, I, I do just, not. I do not have the mental stamina for that. I do not have the meditation capabilities <laughs> to just not pay attention to my arms for that not long. Thing, but yes, yeah, so that is the story of Margaret Cochran Corbin. Mm-hmm. Ma- uh, most likely the inspiration for Molly Pitcher. So I... Obviously pulled um, from Wikipedia. That should be a pretty well-known uh, starting thing. point for starting sources. point for for us. Uh, then I also came across uh, through Google Books notable American women, sixteen oh seven to nineteen fifty, a biographical dictionary, volume two, <laughs> uh, which is written by Edward T. James, mm. Janet Wilson James. Paul S. Boyer uh, and Radcliffe College, most likely where they found all their TAs. All there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the article, Myth Busting the Founding Mothers, which I, I just really like the title of that article, uh, published July 14th, 2017 by National Women's History Museum. Okay. And this is where you do get uh, the information regarding. Mary Ludwig Hayes McCulley versus Margaret Cochran Corbin and how they basically have the exact same story. And uh, I'm sure a bunch of other women also have the exact same story right. as well and just didn't get the credit of it for whatever reasons. Well, and, of course. Yeah. Of course. And then an article by Carol Birkin, uh, Revolutionary Women, Women of, in the Struggle for America's Independence. Her, the article in her book is Margaret Corbin, Molly Pitcher, question mark. Hmm. Um, however, the paintings, so this is where, this is where all those debates come in. 
Mm-hmm. Margaret Corbin received a pension from Congress for her own services. Okay. Mary Hayes only received a widow's pension. Oh. However, contemporary paintings of Molly Pitchers are titled The Heroine of Mammoth, which would have been where Mary Hayes. Hayes was, not Margaret Corbin. Okay. Now, remind me, because history... Did we win Mammoth? I believe so. So that also could be why that's the picture, because you don't Probably. necessarily want to like immortalize our losses. Yeah. Gotta keep um, that history patriotic, you know. Gotta, yeah. Gotta, <laughs> gotta do that. Yeah. Um, so I then pulled from uh, biography.com uh, for Molly Pitcher. The, just the term, just trying to find information. It was uh, first used at, at the beginning of the Revolutionary War, 1776, um, and was a term for women patriots all the way through 1832, so through the War of 1812, all the skirmishes, all those things. Mm-hmm. And then additionally, uh, Britannica's uh, piece on Molly Pitcher's. Um, and okay. the term. So those are our citations for the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anybody wants to do some more reading, there's lots of really interesting things, uh, particularly those books. Jessica, where can people find you at to discuss Canon Cruise and the complex <laughs> uh, history of military engagements? Uh, you can to discuss that. You can find me on Twitter as JM Bailey Writes. And if you want to give me uh, a shout out or some information, if you've got a Philadelphian woman that you think needs to be included, happy to give it some consideration. You can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media, our Facebook page forward slash Geek Elite Media. Archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts from the Geek Elite Media Network can be found on geekelitemedia.com. You can also find this on just about any podcatcher you have. Mm-hmm. Please do remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on that podcatcher so other people can find us. If you're interested, we do have a Patreon page. Love your support. Mm-hmm. Bunch of extra episodes, extra content, fun interviews and things from all of the Geek Elite Media family. Random questions that get thrown at us sometimes, and we're just like, what? So complicated. So much. I so know. Much. <laughs> But until next time, this is Jessica and Elizabeth of the United States of Women podcast from Geek Elite Media Network saying, always remember to geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.